Hi, this is Martin Willis, and welcome to the Everything Else show. Uh, everything else, because it's usually everything else besides UFOs, but we got a little bit of a, a touch of that in tonight's show as well. And uh, with Katie Grabowski, I met her two times out in uh, Arizona at the MUFON boot camp last year, and also uh, at Pine Bush this year. It was a real pleasure. I heard her story. It was fascinating. And so I invited her on for tonight's show. And it's a great pleasure for me to introduce Katie Grabowski. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Martin. Thank you so much. Katie Grabowski Page. I'm changing my name here shortly. So oh, okay. kind of mysterious. Right. But, it's yeah. too late I'm for kinda, the thumbnail. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have Katie Page up there. I didn't want everybody getting confused. But yes, Katie yeah. Grabowski Page. I'm kind of going by both right now as I transition into that. But yes, it's mm -hmm. a pleasure to be on your show. And it was great hanging out, hanging out with you at both places. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I would uh, like for you, if you would talk about now, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Just just enlighten me on this one part. It was a ranch that you stayed on, but you didn't live there. Is that right? Is that how that goes? That's right. I spent some times that I spent uh, one really in particular one evening was quite terrifying, but um, it was the late 70s. Uh, my mom worked for United Airlines and she had been divorced from my father for, for a couple of years and she started dating this gentleman that owned the ranch property. So um, this gentleman had three sons. His two youngest sons, since this was a very rural town, it was in um, Elbert County, Colorado, in uh, a town called Kiowa. And um, you know, very small. It was like six in your graduating class. So they wanted the boys to go to a bigger school district, which we had like, <laughs> A class of 3,500, you know, we had a big, big school at Cherry Creek School District. So the two younger boys um, lived with us during the week. So we were taking the boys back and forth to the ranch. So we'd always hear about the ongoings that were happening there. Never knew anybody ever investigated the area or anybody knew anything about it. We knew the police were involved. We knew a lot of strange things were happening. Um, later, as I started investigating, I, I learned that this is where Linda Moulton Howe actually got her start out there in Colorado. She was an investigative journalist. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, during my research, too, I found out she really just lived like six miles down the road where I lived. Um, but yeah, she was investigating the the literally hundreds of cattle mutilations out there at this time. And right, did you experience things right away there or did things happen yeah. over? Oh, okay. Yeah. The, so the family, so this, this um, ranch property, it was 60 acres. It was surrounded by a hundred, 180 um, acres as well. So it was just a lot of open space. And since I've been researching the property, it actually is sits at the highest elevation there in the, in the town and um, there was already like folklore and stories about this particular old homesteaded ranch that it was um, abandoned um, from the people before and it just sat vacant for years and years and years, which kind of goes into because some of the theories were that we um, there was a lot of military activity out there in the area at the time. And one of my questions have always been like how much of this was military involvement and how much of this was unknown paranormal activity. And it's my opinion that if the military wanted to acquire this property, they would have done so because it sat vacant for so many years. But there was an old story that the people left this property very abruptly, that 
they left the the keys in the ignition to the old pickup truck. And I can attest to that. There were actually quite a few abandoned cars on this property that were just left there. It's like they left mm. in a big hurry. So, so that was kind of part of the mystery. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I'm a vol I do some, a little bit of volunteer work for the SCU and, um, the scientific coalition for UAP studies. Mm -hmm. And I'm a member. <clears throat> I'm not a scientist, as you, as we all know, <laughs> that listen <laughs> to me. But anyway, what I'm getting at is um, I have access to um, some things that I was reading the other day. And I just want to read you this by uh, Eric Davis posted this um, on the on the uh, the private SEU Facebook. But obviously, it's for everybody because he wrote it. He said, "We at NIDS, uh, that was at Skinwalker Ranch." Prove that cattle mutilations are not caused by UFOs. They're caused by a covert team that randomly samples ranch cattle to survey the spread of an evolution of, a, of an anti-livestock bioweapon virus that got loose during a poorly secured government livestock experiment in the early 1960s. Can you imagine that? I mean, interesting. So I passed that along to my friend Chris O'Brien, who has um, who has written that great book, um, right. "Stalking the Herd," and mm -hmm. uh, he said that makes sense, except it doesn't answer what happened in earlier times. That's right, and I was just going to parrot that. Actually, I yeah. think that may solve some of them, maybe 80, 85, maybe go up to 90% of them. But in my investigation and the people, the ranchers that I've gone out and research, um, that would not fit the narrative. Um, one of my, my favorite witnesses that I drove out to Wyoming, she actually, um, had experiences in Kiowa with her family as a teenager and was there during, you know, this high strangers period that seemed to last from 1975 to 1978 was the height of it. People ask me, is this still going on today? And the answer is yes, just not to that like craziness where it was happening like daily, but there are still unusual things that go on out here, out there in that town. Um, but anyway, her name's Sheila and she was married right out of high school and her and her husband had moved to Rama, Colorado, which is just borders. Um, it's just, you know, borders Elbert County line and it's right near Kiowa. And so they had several acres of ranch property and it was miles off the county road in the middle of nowhere. And her husband was actually on horseback checking the cows for calves. And he came across a dead calf. And the calf had four incisions in a perfect square um, with the top of the skin removed, the, the fur removed, but the skin was still there. And he was like, oh, my goodness, what, what is this? So he rides back to the ranch house, gets Sheila, and they go back in the pickup truck. She said that took them about 20, 25 minutes to get back to where the calf was. By the time they got back to that calf, um, the calf had been mutil mutilated, cauterized, blood drain, organs removed, and they never heard a helicopter. There were no truck marks. There were no footprints. Um, she said it was very, very eerie, very spooky. Um, it felt like they were being watched. Um, it really changed. I mean, no blood all around the calf. To me, that doesn't fit the, that military explanation. You, they would have heard copters. They would have seen truck marks. They would have had, and there's so many other unusual things too, you know, where other animals won't approach these mutilated cows. You know, if it was That's just true. humans yeah. doing that, 
you know, why would that be? That's not true. So, and there's so many just unusual um, stories like that where, you know, that military explanation doesn't explain all of them away. In fact, if you pull up picture 14, um, yep. there is a picture. She actually messaged me in Facebook and said, Hey, Katie, I actually found the picture of that calf. Now you can see the image on the left is the cauterized, um, where they took the organs out and the blood drained. Now the one on the right is also a picture she found. And that's what happens when coyotes jump on a live oh, yeah. calf and just eat it alive. It looks very different. Um, mm. so it's really cool. She had those pictures, um, to compare with, but yes. So in that instance, I, I don't believe that was a military operation. Uh, no. There's another one, um, talking early as I mentioned, Skinwalker ranch. So the, there, one of the uh, incidents there, it appeared as if the cow was picked up by something and it dropped head first into a hole. I don't know if you read that book, but you know, so it was like its head was down inside a hole, like it was dropped from right. somewhere, you know I mean? Just that one wouldn't make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I've heard well. that too, or, or, or like, and not only, and you know, it wasn't just cows, it was sheep and horse. So yes. a, a, another, Snippy um, the this horse. Was a, yeah, yeah, Snippy the horse, but there was also one in Kiowa, um, actually, um, in the, the film that Linda did called a strange harvest, um, the, um, undersheriff Bill Waugh, whom I flew out there, um, and interviewed his widow and his son out in Florida. And he talks about this, this family who, you know, they didn't have air conditioning. So they slept with their windows open. They had a horse right outside their kitchen window, two other outbuildings, two families, dogs wouldn't bark. So there's unusual animal behaviors. They wait, they go to bed at night. The horse is fine. They wake up the next morning. The horse is mutilated right outside their windows and they had all their windows open. It's a hot summer day. Um, again, I don't think military would pull that off like that. So there's oh, a why? lot of those. Yeah. 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 So if it had you know. if it had to do, especially if it had to do with a bovine, you know, uh, instance of whatever it was that they had developed to actually mm -hmm. kill them, which is a really silly thing to develop, if you ask me. Um, I guess yeah. the way it would hurt an adversary by, you know, deleting their cows, I guess, as far as a food source. You know, so, but I mean that I can't other, I can't understand what else, of, what kind of a weapon other than that it would be. Okay. So let's talk about what the first instance that happened that you were aware of at the ranch when you were young. Yeah. The very first thing that was reported out there were these strange bangs underground, almost like turbines or something, but there was none of that under the property. Um, and humming sounds, sometimes those humming sounds would get so loud that you couldn't hear yourselves talk over it. That was the very first thing reported in the ranch. And what, what was so awesome for me. So I came into MUFON right as a field investigator in 2012. And as hopefully many of your listeners know, John Schusler is one of the founding fathers of MUFON. And when he learned of my um, connection to that Colorado ranch, he bestowed upon me here, I have it right here. This is the original one right here. I had it bound uh, the original briefing document uh, of the, the investigation on the ranch property. Um, so in here is this chronicle 
order of things that were reported on the ranch. Um, second thing that was reported, the boys, the, the older boy and the middle boy came across a mutilated cow on their property. One of two that were on their particular property. Now the neighbors had them. And when I went to interview the sheriff's widow, um, she said they were almost occurring daily. And I had pulled up so many newspaper articles. If you go well, let's see. That one doesn't. No, I have. Well, a let's let's article. pull. Im, let's go to image one. All right. Um, yeah, image one, and this yep. kind of just goes over all the similarities from from the Colorado ranch to the um, Skinwalker Ranch, and those newspaper clippings that you see there are actually when I went to interview um, Bill Waugh's widow Jean. She had pulled out a big folder of all these articles she had saved from back in the day. Um, and she was gracious enough to let me take that home with me here to Colorado and copy them all. And then I sent them back to her. Um, and, there, and I pulled a lot of information on a lot of names and got a lot of information from that. Some of which includes like this mysterious blanket of metal found, which we'll get into later. But of course the strange humming sounds, the cattle mutilations, the circles on the ground, that's something I personally witnessed with my sister and was really cool to find that actually the dimensions of it here in the um, briefing document. Um, we had the military connection, Bigfoot creatures, crypto creatures, which were these big bird creatures, these menacing helicopters that would chase people and young people, which I found images of and articles about. And in fact, I was able to get with Klaus Svahn out in Sweden to find oh, yeah. this. Uh, yeah, Klaus is friend wonderful. Under the shows here. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. And he had a copy of this um kind of a booklet it's like 60 some pages but it's called the choppers and the choppers that did this really investigative study into the the mutilators and this these strange choppers that were seen and it's a fascinating read it's really really interesting there were et being sighted there two different types they said they were to in conflict with one another, this mysterious metal that was sound, uh, found out there. And strangely enough, and something I didn't talk about for a while because I thought it was so odd, you know, nobody's going to believe this, but were these strange disappearing boxes. And they're also reported in this briefing document. So this ranch was actually investigated by APRO. Um, mm. And it was in this book right here, Hunt for the Skinwalker, that I picked up and, and this was before the Skinwalker Ranch was really that well known. You know, there was no TV shows about it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I just picked up the book because I thought, oh, a ranch and strange activity. Maybe I'll learn something about what happened out in the ranch. And I get to the chapter Other Hot Spots. And there's several pages about the Colorado ranch. And I knew immediately it had to be the ranch from my childhood because of the strange family dynamic. I was well aware of the strange family dynamic there. And so in this book, it mentioned the three PhDs that had investigated the property. One was Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who became a dear friend of mine. And sadly, we lost last year. That's um, right. One, yeah. one was um, John Durr, PhD. And I just recently found him and located him and have had interesting conversations with him. And the other one was a, a man named Peter Van Arsdale, all three PhDs, seismologists. Um, they also had a psychic out on the property named Clarissa Bernhardt, which I tracked her down and did an interview with her. Um, and so 
you know, as this has been unfolding for the last decade now that I've been researching this, I'm just trying to pull names from these articles and reach out to the ranchers. And for those of you who know, like small town mentality, you kind of, you know, you can't just barge in there and go, I want to know everything, you know, you just have to, you know, earn trust, earn respect, earn confidentiality with these people. And, and, you know, lucky for me, they've been very forthcoming and, and willing to share some of these really interesting events. Um, you know, well, the, the Skinwalker Ranch, like, it's just like, there's these things, no, no borders, as far as I'm concerned, like mm -hmm. they wouldn't know between the Mexican border and the United States border, a UFO doesn't care or a Bigfoot doesn't care or whatever, unless there's a wall there, of course, or whatever. But still, um, I, what I'm getting at is what about the um, connecting properties around the ranch? Is it, it's not just that particular ranch. You said it's 60 acres. That's, that's big, but not yeah. really big. Right. And so, it, it affected everybody in the town and neighboring towns as well. Um, and I'll get okay. into a person I ran across that was 14 miles away in another little town that I can't disclose. He wrote a book and he called, you know, he says it was in Castle Rock, but I learned the true location, which in fact was 14 miles away from the ranch. But you're right. This is Marley Woods. This is, you know, South um, Trey Hudson has the South Skinwalker where there's activity. Um, and doing MUFON's archive program, I ran across another interesting historical case called the UFO um, Ohio Pile Creature Case, which I believe Stan Gordon wrote about in his book. And um, it's very similar to a lot of the activities out here in Pennsylvania. Then, of course, you know, you have the Skinwalker and Blind Frog and, you know, the high energy um, um, in Sedona there. Um, and what I, I did is I pulled up the geological map, you know, and what all these properties have in common are there very highly, highly magnetized areas? And when we had James um, Keenan on the, our show just recently, we were he was talking about how they're learning that these highly magnetized areas actually can move. You know, they're they're not stagnant per se. So, and that led mm -hmm. us into this whole mystery of you know David Pilates and missing four one one. Is that's what's happening? People are hiking in these national forests. They're coming across these highly magnetized area, and James was saying how the compass will spin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh my gosh, cause I've been doing a lot of hiking lately. I'm going to start carrying a compass with me. Right. Because no, you don't want to get too scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm already paranoid enough getting involved yeah. in all this high strangeness stuff. So I'm always like, darn it. But you know, you, you want to be careful too, but it, is that allowing some sort of portal to open up? I don't know. You know, well, um, so it's the whole town. It's not just the ranch. Yes, that, the whole town. The whole yeah. town has problems. Yeah, the whole town had had. I mean, people. The whole town felt eerie. Everybody had like loaded shotguns by their door, and there was a heavy military presence there. Again, um, if you pull up, mm -hmm. yeah, if you pull up um, image number five. Yep. So on this image, the 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 very big red star at the top, right there, that's where the ranch sat. So mm -hmm. if you look, um, you see the Air Force Academy is not too far by. And in fact, in the late 70s, they owned more property than they do now. And it kind of almost butted to where that ranch property was. You had um, Peterson Air Force Base. You had Shrivener Air Force Base. You had Fort Carson, Cheyenne Mountain, and NORAD. And I believe it's wow. in Christopher O'Brien's book, um, Mystery Stocks the Prairie, that he talks about one of these first mutilations they left the cow, the mutilated cow, on the doorsteps of NORAD. 
What is that about? If they're the wow. ones doing it, why would they do that? Um, and then also not on that map in between the Air Force Academy and Cheyenne Mountain is Butte, which has one of the largest collections of military helicopters. Okay. Hmm. So there was, there's no question that the military was aware of this property. And in fact, when I was at a conference in Laughlin, um, Richard Doty was there and I know people, oh, Richard Doty, he's disinformation officer, you know, whatever you think of Richard Doty, I was interested in knowing whether he was aware of this property. And he told me that he was. And in fact, he's not the only person I was just recently, well, with you in New York, you know, Cheryl Costa was there mm -hmm. and we were sitting there at the table and she goes, oh, I know who you are. You're the one with the Colorado ranch. Cause you know, she has the military background, right? She said, we were, we were aware of your ranch property, the ranch property in Colorado, which is really in interesting to me. Um, and in fact, in some of um, Dr. Leo Sprinkles, so if, so in Laramie, Wyoming is the Heritage Center, and that's where Dr. Leo Sprinkle has housed all his research. So there's over, over 40 years of UFO research here at the Heritage Center. And I went there to pull wow. all the original files and documents, which anybody can go do. It's all open to anybody who wants to go down there and look at this. Um, I went down there immediately when I found out he was... Um, one of the investigators at this ranch. And um, in those files, I came across some interesting little tidbits of information, one of which um, is um, image number six, if you want to pull that up. Sure. And the, the original note there is in actually Dr. Leo Sprinkle's hand. And what it says is, Bill Waugh, the undersheriff, wants to talk to someone, has seen ships going into the ground, boxes, mutilations being done. Nobody... Nobody will talk. Don't want investigation or publicity. No stigma. Credentials are an important factor. That's why for years it was known as the Clearview Ranch. Said John would go back. NORAD Colonel said bluntly to forget about it and to shut up. And the Air Force has a directive to handle UFOs and Bigfoot. So right there, um, and wow. I heard from Gene Wall, the, the sheriff's wall. And also there was um, George Yarnell. He was the sheriff of Elbert County at the time. And they had directives directly from NORAD and the Air Force Academy to, to actually lie about the mutilations, um, you know, to say it's um, religious sat or satanic cults or whatever, you know. And there was a big uproar in the state. I mean, you know the the governor of the state was even involved because everybody was arming themselves people were really afraid and the area felt really really frightening um another wow. theory that i had is that possibly they were like black access projects going on out there and mm -hmm. i had a clue into that and that's image number seven this was also in dr leo sprinkles files and, and this is in his hand. And I think it's interesting because it says Warren and they redacted his last name from Camp Carson. So immediately I'm like, what is this guy from a soldier from Camp Carson be doing on the ranch property? It says he visits the ranch. He felt something wrong. He wouldn't go into the woods. Something took over his mind, made him walk towards the woods and released him. And he would run back to the ranch house. And this did this to him five times was that like an mk what? ultra mind control or is that like et's doing something to his mind with these weird boxes that's strange huh mm -hmm. really weird wow really wow. scary um how far um away distance wise or is it right there in the san luis valley oh no um actually where kiowa elbert county is um it's it's more um it's further east uh, it's east of denver so 
if anybody like Parker, it's out, it's out pretty rural, but there are like, um, these, um, patches of ponderosa pine. So it's not heavily forested. It's actually a very open ranch area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was about an hour away from my house where we lived, where the kids went to school at Cherry Creek. So, you know, it was a two hour track back and forth from the ranch to our house. So what type of effect did this have on you in in general as a child? Were you like dreading every time you were going there? It was scary. Um, And what's really fascinating about all of this is, so actually, I I actually leave tomorrow morning to go to David Marler's um, archives, his house, to do some research. Because for me, UFOs and ufology was kind of just part of my upbringing. I'm originally from Illinois. My grandparents lived in Wisconsin in Lake Geneva. And my grandfather actually had a sighting over Lake Como of an oblong shaped craft that was investigated by J. Allen Hynek. So I'm going to be looking for a needle in the haystack at David Marler's this weekend. Uh Cause if I could find that original report of my grandfather's just to have it, um, would be super cool. I'm also working on another project I'll be investigating there as well. Um, but, and then also my mom talks about two other sightings we had going from Illinois or from Wisconsin back to our home in Illinois in a little town right across the border there called Richmond. And she said one of them, there was just hovering off the ground. She said it was a bit larger than a billboard size was another oblong shaped craft. I was in the front seat of a 66 Buick. And she said, I was after that sighting, I was like catatonic. They were like, Katie, you know, you know, and so, you know, I've heard that story growing up my whole life that, you know, we saw this craft and you were catatonic and, and then my grandfather sighting and he was in the Navy and he was a Mason. I don't know if there's any connection there, but I, I do hear a lot of people that have sightings or, um, contact with something that our military families. So I think that's interesting as well. And then of course we moved to Colorado in 1970. My mom's a computer operator for United and lo and behold, in 1975, all this crazy stuff happens. And when you ask me how it affected me, um, all of my life, I've had strange and unusual things like, you know, live in a haunted house or shadow figures in my room and just different things like this. Um, seeing people's lives in pictures, which I thought everybody did that. Um, and it wasn't until skinwalkers at the Pentagon and they started talking about this hitchhiker phenomenon. Yeah, Cause I, I always kind of, I just kind of, I always just separated all of it. I, I compartmentalized it like, okay, this weird mutilation mm-hmm. thing was happening. These crazy things were happening at the ranch and the shadow figures. I'm sleeping with my sister and checking under my bed. That's something different, you know, and that's something different and that's something different. But now I'm, I'm starting to think maybe somehow they're all interconnected. Hmm. You know? Wow. Yeah. So does this happen? Like where you said you were like in a haunted house, like these things happen to you all the time still? Yeah. You know, what's, what's happening more and more now, it almost feels like, um, just weird synchronicities and almost uh, manifestation is something that happens like at a shocking rate in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? And I'll give you a good example of this. So about three and a half years ago, I uh, was given a fascinating, fascinating case to start researching. And it, it, it ties back to the actual Roswell case of 1947. And there was a Brigadier General Arthur 
Exxon. And he had said to Don Schmidt and Kevin Randall that one of the Roswell bodies ended up in a mortuary outfit in Denver. Okay. So a few years back, I get a report from this very nice couple um, out of California, and they are best friends with the mortician. And the mortician, you know, is here in Denver. And for decades, this vault sat in the basement of this mortuary in Denver. Interestingly enough, downtown, not too far from Fitzsimmons and Lowry, and also very close to the Mason Lodge. And there this vault sat and sat and sat. And he, the mortician, never thought there was a body even in there. Why would there be if it's sitting there for so long? And um, finally, he inquires about it. And they said, you know what? There's a judge that has a hold on this on this body. Don't touch it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is where they stored the chairs and stuff. And um, so I, I get the judge's name. I, I actually will be speaking at UFO Congress. I don't know if I'm going to be sharing all these documents and all this information yet, but I'm putting together a presentation, all this, because I've been digging on this and going to the archives, the Eisenhower archives and that. But what I find out, the more, the mortuary where this body was held, um, the owner of it lived three doors down from Mamie Eisenhower. Okay. And also went to the same lodge. The judge was went to the same lodge and was a 33 degree Mason. And when was a, he was a federal judge appointed by Nixon. And what's interesting about this federal judge is he was the crash retrieval specialist and the infectious disease specialist and actually handled the biggest case in the country on organ transplants. So yeah. I'm thinking, so when I talked to Don Schmidt, I'm like, okay, first I have so many questions. So, so I, I believe that three of the bodies went to Texas. Okay. And I believe possibly one of those ended up at Fitzsimmons Lowry. If there was maybe perhaps some sort of organ or something they wanted to look at. So what happens is this mortician, the curiosity kills the cat and he pulls his caper. What he, he, I went and interviewed him twice. And his, and his wife is such a sweetheart and just wonderful. He has since passed also. So I'm glad we have this on film and his, his story and, and, and everything documented. But he was curious about what was in the vault. So he opens the vault. He was shocked to see in there that um, it was a child-sized coffin. Um, he opens it up. The body is in seven layers of formaldehyde cloth all the visceral is removed. Genitals are completely cut out. Orifices for ears, heavy brow. And he thought at the time, because my first question was, if you thought this was a Roswell body, why didn't you take pictures? Why didn't you like, you know, breaking yeah. news? And he said he didn't think alien or UFO or anything. His mind wasn't there at all. First, he was, you know, his eyes are watering and all that from the formaldehyde. He was shocked there was a child in there. He was shocked that the visceral was gone. He was shocked at the condition of the, the gray, heavy kind of skin. The genitals are cut out. He just was like, what the heck am I looking at? And he really felt mortified that he disturbed this person's peace. So he puts it all together. And it wasn't until years later that he and his wife, they were hang gliding in Roswell. And he just, for the fun of it, went to the Roswell Museum and, you know, the rest, he learned about this rumor that, and he was like, oh my gosh, ding, 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 ding. 
that's what it was. So I've been investigating, like I said, this case, and, and it has very interesting connections um, to the Eisenhowers, to Fitzsimmons, to Lowry, and all these people are connecting dots. So back to the synch synchronicity, I was, <laughs> I, I did circle back around to the synchronicity. My mom was in an independent living facility here, you know, in Denver. And she asked me, she said, Hey, Katie, can you come do a UFOs 101 presentation? You know, and I'm like, sure. So I do that. And I'm talking with all the people that were at the presentation after it. And I was mentioning the Roswell body and the judge. And one of the residents go, oh, you mean, you know, his widow's on the sixth floor. You want me to go get her? Huh? And I'm just like, you have got to be kidding me. What are the chances of that? So I had two interviews with the judge's widow. Um, and she had a lot of revealing things to say. That's how I found out, you know, all the information about he being the infectious disease specialist, the crash retrieval specialist, how many times he was back and forth to New Mexico. Not only that, but I do believe where the body was moved. Um, that's a whole other thing. I'm not ready to disclose it yet. But my theory matches with what she said, because they were actually in attendance uh, I believe a certain body was removed and this body was then put in and sh they were there. The judge and his wife were there. And I'm like, why would they be there if there wasn't a connection? So it's really unfolding and it's really a fascinating story. Did you say that the body was removed and replaced? Yeah, I, I don't want to get into details on that, but a yeah. certain body was removed and this body that was stored in this mortuary was put in its place. So I do believe I know where this body is located. And in fact, I've done soil samples because around. So if you go to where this uh, where this body could possibly be, and I have footage of this, everything around it is super green, except for right where that is and everything's dead. Hmm. And I've gone back year after year and it's the same oh, thing. Oh, you mean they, Everything they buried, green. They I think buried, they buried the body? They buried the body. And I, yeah, I, yep. Yeah. So now I'm thinking I need to figure out how to get like ground penetrating radar, like, I don't know, handheld or something, but it's like in a place where I don't want to get caught and I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but it's been uncover, fascinating. If you're going to actually uncover an, a real genuine alien body, um, We'll we'll do a big huge fundraiser. Yeah, <laughs> and I we'll know. We'll go I in know. and I'll help. We'll go in and ninja ninja suits and at night and right. And, we can uh, do a grave rob, drone, a yeah. yeah, drone or something. It's really fascinating. I've been that's why I've been really careful coming public with this story because I know in this field, especially when it comes to Roswell, um, you need to really have your ducks in a row. Like I, I have oh, sure. all my yeah. theories and all that, but I, I have documentation and, and I'm connecting the dots with certain people that are involved. And it's really important to me to, you know, to get, you know, Don Schmidt's opinion on this and, and see what he thinks of it. Does it hold water or doesn't it? Cause right now it's just a theory and I'm just trying to put these pieces together I also intentionally, and this may be bad on my part, I don't know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, um, but I tend to, when it comes to Roswell, um, I haven't read all the books. They're all on my shelf back here. I have uh, a whole Roswell section, but I yeah. haven't read them because I don't want to be biased, and I'm trying to look at the evidence I have with, like, fresh eyes. Yes. Um, you know what I'm saying? And let and it, it lead me where it leads me, and then see if it connects back. Yeah. Plus you have to be, you have to be, um, uh, you have to realize there's egos involved. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> when you're looking at something like this too and yeah. how people want to control a narrative um, because of um, say a book that was written or something else. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, you tack it fresh and um, yeah, I would love to keep updated on that because you know, yeah. it's a what if type of thing. Well, where if, if you're at UFO Congress and I have my UFO Congress hoodie right I now. I will be there. It's pulled up yes. here. Um, yep. And if I present on that, yeah, I'll, you know, it's sort of like, if you go to UFO Congress, you'll be first to hear their show. I'm not for sure that's what I'm doing it on. And like I said, I don't want to give away the whole farm because you're right. I think when it comes to books and publishing your work and your research, you do have to be careful because there are people who will come in and try and take it or get credit or whatever. And one of the best that's ways right. to protect that is to put it in writing into a book form. So I need to be careful about what I put out there. Um, that's why I don't want to give too many names and all that, everything locations. away right up. Yeah. Wanna, all that away. Locations for sure. You don't want to give yeah. that away. Here's yeah, exactly. a, a question. So, I, I told people they could post some questions. So Judy writes, has Katie ever felt physically endangered by any of her encounters? Yes. The answer is yes. And okay. interestingly enough, um, you know, I had a really interesting talk um, with Heidi Hollis about this um, in Oregon at uh, the mega conference is that what it's getting like um and um we talked about how it's interesting how some contact and um some of these really fearful things because you got to remember when all this stuff was happening at the ranch i'm nine to 12 years old you know i'm just a little girl and i'm seeing these tall shadow figures in my room twos or threes peeking around the door hovering over me and yeah and i'll get into my physical symptoms um when I talk about that really scary night at the ranch property, because that's when a lot of these things really started kicking in for me. In fact, I was so afraid. I, I walked back and forth to school from my elementary school. And if a car and especially a motorcycle was particularly frightening for me because motorcycles can go up on the lawn. But anytime a car or a motorcycle would pass, I would pretend like I lived at the house that was closest because I was oh. always afraid. I was always so afraid of being kidnapped or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I yeah. live there. Like I'd go up to yeah. these people's strangers' doors. Like I live at this house because I was terrified all the time. Never slept oh. alone. I always slept with my big sister. She was six years older than I. And um, I slept with her. I never, ever slept alone. Uh, always had my bed up against a wall. You know, did the thing you do when you're a little kid. Check under the bed. Make sure your closet, closet's closed. Sleep with the light on. All that, mm -hmm. all that stuff, you know, and you can chalk it up to just being afraid of the boogeyman. But I think there was more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah. And did you did you feel like in the house itself? Did you feel like or did other people discuss feeling like a presence or something? Well, on or the was ranch property. Outside? Yeah. Um, at, at the ranch was just eerie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, it was inside too. Um, one of the most terrifying nights we had at the ranch, my sister was there, the boys. Um, I believe it was the boys' mother's birthday. She had a new boyfriend interest. And so it was the mom, the boyfriend, my mom, you know, her boyfriend, mm -hmm. their father and the boys and my sister and I, and they were up till wee hours in the morning playing board games. We were hanging out in the boys' room. I'm the youngest of all these kids. And all of a sudden that humming noise is started up so it was just like this and then all the power in the house goes out wow and everybody's like freaking out oh my gosh oh my gosh then out of the boys's window was the brightest white light i'd ever seen in my life it was not a helicopter i know that for certain because you would hear a helicopter 
And mm-hmm. at that moment, this disembodied electrical sounding voice came from like every orifice of the house. And it basically said, like, we have allowed you to remain. Your friends will be instructed to remain silent concerning us. Da, da, da. It was terrifying. And when we, mm-hmm. so my mom, my sister and I, we go back to the ranch or our house and we, my house, you walk in and there's a stairway going right up. I get inside the door and I maybe take four steps and I fall down. I collapsed on the floor and I'm like paralyzed or catatonic. I couldn't talk. I was trying to say, my mom and my sister are going, what did you eat? What did you eat? And I was trying to say peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I couldn't talk. And I stayed like that for a few minutes, came to They got me up to my bedroom and I had the worst migraine headache I had ever had in my life with the tunnel vision, the vomiting, all that stuff. And I suffered severe migraines after that, like every week for years until I finally went through biofeedback training um, to get rid of my migraine headaches. You know, nightmares started up, shadow figures started up, all these weird things started happening to me after that encounter. Um, Wow. So, yeah. And when was the last time you went there? Uh, Just last summer. No, I mean, uh, as, as a child living there. Oh, as a child, I was like 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can remember my sister and I were there one spring day. We, you know, in Colorado, you get like the sun shining. It's pretty nice, but you have that wet, heavy snow. And so we were out there. Yeah. It melts real fast. It melts really fast. And we were out there flipping the Frisbee and we happened to look down and we're like, why is the dirt dry under us, but everything around us is like wet? That didn't make any sense to us. And it was really cool because in this in this briefing document, it actually ta- actually no, it wasn't in the briefing document. It was some it was in some of the letters that were in the file. But it talks about that they there were two of those circles on the property, and it talks about that when the researchers were out there, there was snow on the ground. There were drops of blood in the snow outside the dry circle. And the investigator in me goes, well, maybe there was a missile silo or something sitting there. There was never a silo or anything sitting in these locations. So that's not an explanation. I don't know what those were, but it was really validating for me to actually see the circumference of those and have them mentioned in the reports that I found. Also in the reports, they talk about that night that I remember so vividly from my childhood and my sister as well. In fact, my sister came to one of my presentations and actually heard me, the recreation I made of the sound. And she actually mm-hmm. like had a PTSD reaction to it, started crying and everything. It like, wow. holy cow, it brought her back because mm-hmm. here my sister and I have these memories that we've just kind of kept silent because we were told not to ever talk about it to anybody. We never talked about it to anybody. When you had that bright light experience, was that the same night that you left the property or was that a different night? Uh, That was the same night of that voice that like your friends will remain silent concerning us. Yeah, that was that same night. And then the other. Did you ever see? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wondered, did you ever see anything like a craft or anything or was it just the light? I just saw the light. I didn't see a physical craft. Now, and I never saw any ET beings either, but they were reported. Now, the adults there, actually, there's several witnesses that reported seeing ET beings there, and I never saw those with my eyes, and I never saw a Bigfoot. Now, my older sister actually saw one of the Bigfoot creatures. Um, She went with the oldest son to the prom out there. Hold on. Um, But what was fascinating, so I don't remember how many years ago it's been now. It's probably been at least six years ago now. I was the Colorado MUFON um, 
guest speaker coordinator, and I had invited this gentleman to come speak. His name's Sean Bartok, and he wrote a book called Flashbacks. And it was about this property he had in Castle Rock, Colorado, and he had almost identical occurrences as we, we did on the ranch. And I'm just sitting there in the third row watching his presentation, and up pops a drawing of an ET being that they had seen in the early 70s, so predates the ones that were sketched in the files of Dr. Leo Sprinkles, because when I went and got the files, they had sketches of one of the ET beings that were seen there. So if you pull up, um, let's start with image 12. I'll start with 12, because okay. these are the close-up of the faces. So the one on the left is Sean Bartok's and the one on the right is the Elbert County Ranch one that was in the files. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the heavy brow, the wrinkles on the foreheads, the wrinkles around the mouth, the shape of the eyes, and then there's these tube things, okay? And what's interesting, when Sean talked about the those tubes in that guy's neck on the left, they would spread out. So if you go to image 13... This is his drawing on the right with the tube spread out. And then the one on the left is the one from Kiowa Ranch in Elbert County. And they're so similar. I, I, I was just flabbergasted to learn that these were like 14 miles apart from one another. And then one day I was at the grocery store and there was a, a article or an article in Popular Mechanics and they talked about AI and, you know, they have like these tube looking things, you know, mm. and I thought, could that ET being be in, be like an AI because it was very strange. It was very boxy, had these spindly looking arms um, and these weird mechanical disappearing boxes and that weird mechanical sounding voice. Could that be an AI type of being? And then the other type of being that was reported on the property was like a Nordic a Nordic being, mm. the tall, blue-eyed, blonde Nordics. And they yep. said, basically in this report, that they were in conflict with one another. And like, we were just like, in there, like, just don't mind us and we won't mind you kind of deal. Uh, yeah. Uh, like and fighting. Then, yeah. Like, like the, the yeah. Palladians and whatever, who, you know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Now, I didn't witness any of that. I'm just saying yeah. that's what was reported. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a couple of questions that come in. And, and uh, so have you ever encountered... The hat man, I have, I think I heard Nick Redfern speak on that, the hat man. Are you familiar with what that is? I am familiar with, you know, the hat man and no, I thankfully haven't encountered the hat man. Now I know there's, you know, I think a lot of times hat man is looking at, as looked at as kind of a negative being. I don't think that's always been reported to be the case, but um, I've always sort of been thankful that I haven't had encounters with the hat man and in sure. doing you know, research, you also hear of this cloaked being, almost like the Grim Reaper type of a being that is seen at some people's, you know, foot of their beds or in their bedrooms. And I haven't seen the cloaked one either. Yikes. This, yeah. yeah this Sound, all just, sounds scary to me. Yeah. It's just yeah. very tall, shadowy um, figures. And, and I, I, you know, my, my father, um, his third wife, Midge, passed away in this house and that, and my dad, my dad was a, a person who, you know, when you die, you're dirt, he really didn't believe in anything. Okay. And mm -hmm. so after his wife passed away in this house, Midge was her name. Uh, she had an asthma attack and passed in the house. Things started happening. Well, here's what my dad did. My dad loved the ladies. So like not even a month passed, he met another woman. They actually got married in Midge's house 
And my yeah. dad would open, yeah, my dad would open the freezer and he used to frost frost his beer mugs. He was like a Pabst Blue Ribbon drinker, right? And he would he would frost dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but <laughs> he would frost his mugs and they would like fly out and shatter. He would hear footsteps, closet mm. doors would open and close, light bulbs would shatter. Like I think she was like angry. So anyway, long story short, yeah. my dad moves out of this house. We called it the Ogden house because it was on Ogden Street. And me and my husband and my young son at the time moved into this house for a while. Nothing happened for a while until we had to move out because they were going to sell it. Then things started happening. And I remember being afraid of this closet. And uh, I was trying to get my guts up because my son's stuff was in there. And I walk in the room to open the closet door and it just whoo, opened right for me. And I was like, ah, no, but so that to me was haunted by like a human spirit, you know, and I, ah. I, I really do like the paranormal and I I've done, you know, the Stanley hotel and the St. Augustine lighthouse. I've done some of those excursions with the ghost hunters and stuff, which was great. Um, yeah. but there's a difference between these ET shadow beings, whatever they are and like human ghost spirits, like uncle, Joe or brother or dad or, you know, whatever. To me, there's a difference and you could tell the difference. So is the Stanley Hotel, is that in Estes Park? Yes. Yes. Um, did that have anything to do with The Shining? Well, they, they you know, Steven Spielberg, it, it was kind of based, it. he had experiences there in his room and they actually filmed it. I think it was in a hotel in Utah, actually. Was it in Utah? Um, but it, they didn't film it at the Stanley, but it was definitely inspired by the Stanley. That's what and I in was fact, thinking. yeah. And what's what's interesting about I have a funny Stanley story if I could share it. Sure. Um, I, I, there's actually on my website, katiegrabowski.com, if you go to the paranormal tab, there's some footage, interesting footage my son took. He was there with his his wife and they experienced some unusual activity. But my husband, one year, um, uh, got us the Stanley, the Stephen King room to stay in for our anniversary. And I thought I would be really terrified of it. And I wasn't, I actually took a, a bath in the, the claw tub and everything. It seemed okay to me, but I had a, a blast. Um, people would come up to the door and they like getting their pictures by the door, <laughs> the Stephen King. And I would jiggle the chain or jiggle the handle and they'd go, uh ah! <laughs> I had the best time for like two hours kind of messing with people <laughs> at the Stanley hotel. So just know if you ever go visit and that happens, it could be a human person on the other side of that door messing with oh, you. They had do, a lot of fun. They do I think I can, I, I'm going to see if I can actually, I might be able to pull that up. Let's see if I can do that. And oh yeah, this is it. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah, this is my son and he noticed that the door was kind of open and not a, not a windy day. Um, again, my son's a big skeptic too. Um, and it's weird cause I see a shadow there at the end, almost like it's holding the door handle. That's what I see when I really zoom in and look at it closely. I almost see, um, what looks to be like somebody holding the door handle. So we can watch this really quick. It's kind of cool what happens here. He's like, why isn't that moving anymore? So he's going to walk in a little closer. Okay. So this is only a, a minute yeah, video just okay. for those who may be wondering. Yeah. It's almost done here. Oh, there it goes. Wow. <laughs> 
it freaked him out. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. That's great. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Um, so someone getting back to those rings that you mentioned, uh, Fred wanted to know what was the condition of the earth in the bare spots? In other words, it was, was dry. It, it, yeah, it, was it was just dry, dry regular, undisturbed. Dry. Undisturbed. Nothing grew in these circles. Um, but no vegetation. And, you know, I've looked, you know, in Google Earth, you can go back and kind of go back in time. And I'm trying to see if I could see where they are. So eventually vegetation came back. But in these reports, it does stay. It stayed that way for a few years where nothing would grow. Water wouldn't retain. Um, and it's interesting, too. Who was I? I think Chris DiPerno, uh, and Maybe it was Debbie Ziegelmeyer. They were talking about this um, basically circle in the water like where it's ice and the ice yeah it spins yeah yeah that's thin a strange well, phenomenon yes. yeah it's something similar to that but on dirt so nothing huh. would grow nothing no water it wouldn't retain water or moisture very odd very strange so let's yeah. talk about you had some type of symptoms so what do you attribute yeah. these symptoms to the to the experience at the ranch I didn't used to, but I do now. And in that blue orb experience, that was really fat. So that was me during the ranch. Those, that, those are pictures of me during that time. Um, mm -hmm. That up, that one on the far side there kind of haunts me a little bit because that's kind of how I felt often. Just sort you of like, very pensive there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but that blue orb incident happened. So I started kind of reopening I, you know, I hate to use the term Pandora's box, but the Pandora's back on the ranch in 2013. And, um, and happily I journaled about this incident because I had forgotten all the pieces of it. Um, but basically I was woken up my boys. I have five kids, four boys and a girl, and my boys were in their Lego years. And I had a Lego bucket in my bedroom. The Lego bucket fell over in the middle of the night and woke me up and I wake up and in the corner of my room is this basketball sized blue orb. And I just remember it being lighter on the outside and a little more dense on the inside. And I'm elbowing Steve. I'm like, get up, get up. What is this in our room? What is this in our room? He wakes up and is his, he's kind of adjusting like, what the heck? It just, boom, it dissipated. And what's fascinating about that too, is as that's occurring, the auto light from the people that live behind us, it was going on. And of course we're getting, we could get up or like, what the heck's going on? And it, it did that like a couple of times, the auto light would go off on off. So I don't know what that basketball blue orb was, but interesting when I was reading um, skinwalkers at the Pentagon, I don't know. Oh, right here. I just, again, synchronicity. I literally just opened, wow. opened to the page. I opened yep. to the page. And so <laughs> listen to what it says here. It says, um, it talks about, um, let's see, the Air Force programs on micro UAVs and how these micro UAVs could easily be mistaken for non-human technology. Without divulging any classified information, Hennessy appeared to be warning his um, interlocator not to automatically assume that, that all very advanced looking technology was non-human. Um, they were warning Bass not to overinterpret the plethora of emergent data on orbs. And specifically, he was talking about these blue orbs. And, and so in other words, don't automatically assume they're not ours. They could be something mm -hmm. that we have. And if that's the case, what are they doing in my bedroom at night? You know, kind of. Right. <laughs> it's, it's strange how you hear about the different color orbs. The orange orb is, is 
pretty popular. And uh, I had um, a an Air Force, a former Air Force pilot of an F-16 at the time. Um, I was sitting next to on a, a flight and got into the topic of UFOs. He said he knew that they were real. And he was followed for over 300 miles uh, by a green orb, bright green orb that I've lit up that. his whole cockpit. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of that too. And I've heard yeah. too that like the blue orbs, some people say that blue orbs can be very healing. Um, mm. and, and other people say that they can harm you. So I don't know which is true. Um, but I do know I experienced that blue orb in my bedroom. I'll never forget it. And I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea, but I'm glad I had another witness to it because it's, you know, sounds unbelievable. <laughs> it's really, you know, one of the things that I, I think is very interesting is that um, we, you brought up, I can't remember what uh, number the map was. Number um, five. Uh, number five, thank you. And so uh, of all the military bases that are so close there, and that seems like a common denominator to a lot of these places where a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's necessarily military what is going on there, but it just, it, it, it just seems like a common denominator to a lot of these places. It does. And, and it really makes you wonder. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the, the black helicopters, I don't know if you said black helicopters, but helicopters in general, mm-hmm. you know, that makes sense that it's, you know, military can be scared up pretty quickly to send out those. But um, it is, it is odd. And I, yeah. I wonder what, what the connection is. Is it one chasing the other or the other chasing the other. Do you know what I mean? Is it, uh, you talked about the magnetic um, situation there. And, and by the way, is that, did you say that as a high level in that area in particular that you yeah, know of? It, yeah. yeah. All of these high strangeness locations like peak, it's like, if you go to the maps, it's the lightest shade of pink and they're all highly, highly, highly magnetic areas. So you know, I don't know. And that's always been my question. The chicken or the egg, are they out there causing, investigating or, or what? I mean, and, and I really believe, and I know we're all wanting simple explanations, but just like with the cattle mutilations, it's hard to say, well, yep, 80% of them are this, but that leaves some of them that aren't. And, you know, not everything fits neatly into one little basket. And I think that's the case out there on the ranch property. I think both things mm-hmm. were happening at the same time. Um, so. And yeah. what, what about, um, you mentioned this bright light. Were there other people that talked about UFOs occurring in that general area oh yeah they talk extensively about the, the the neighbor lady had seen light for years there um neighbors were reported being chased by craft um again my witness um that i talked to in wyoming that had the picture of the calf um she had a really interesting story and as as an investigator and for those that are out there that are listening um one one thing that it's you could tell if somebody's kind of being genuine when they, they're like, oh yeah, this is how come I remember this so clearly. And she did not have her driver's license yet. She had her driver's permit. Her and her friends were coming back from a 4-H, like a 4-H event or something like that. It was dark out. They live out there in a very rural area out there in Kiowa. And they see what appears to be like the sun on the ground. It wasn't a helicopter, no noise, no nothing. Kind of like what I saw out the window, okay? 
She described mm-hmm. it as the sun sitting on the ground. Her mother pulls the car over and is witnessing this thing. And this is high mutilation time. This is, you know, um, Bill Wall's out there in planes all the time. George Arnell's in out there in airplanes. People are actively looking. There's a $10,000 reward from the Cattlemen's Association. People, this is what another a lot of people don't understand, too, with these mutilations that were happening. People were like actively seeking these people out. It was happening so often. People were so frightening. There's a $10,000 reward. This is in the late 70s. That's a lot of money. So people are not sleeping at night looking for the perpetrators, right? They would see military. They would see these people do this, right? And so she pulls over the car and she remembers very vividly this lit ramp coming out of the craft. Okay. The, the, the ramp comes up and in her mind, in her 15 year old mind, she's thinking, Oh, that's how they're taking the cattle. They're taking them on board, going up, doing surgery and then dropping them. And they look and the thing just shoots off at a 90 degree angle. It's gone. They call Bill Wall. They called the sheriff. They sheriff went actively looking, didn't find anything. And this stuck so vividly in her mind because her mom was so upset by this encounter. She had to drive home and she Mm. didn't have her license. It's late at night. Her mom's hysterical. Her friends are in the back of the car. I mean, she will never forget this experience, you know, and that was not the military. That's amazing. Now um, I had, uh, I just spoke about this gentleman, I think a couple of days ago, I had Mario Woods had an encounter in South Dakota over a missile site um, he was in security in the military, and he said that it looked like a, a sun sitting right over the, the the missile site, yeah, right above it. That's how he described it. Which, yeah. uh, and that's only the second time I've heard someone describe it like that. <laughs> Again, synchronicities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the other thing, you know, Bill Wall and George Arnell, the sheriffs at the time, and you know, I learned this from his son and his and his wife. Um, Gene, that, you know, they, they were working together with other states. This was not just exclusively happening in Colorado. Um, this was um, happening in Montana, Wyoming, Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, Utah, you know, all across the Midwest. And so they were working with one another. They had a big map in the police station and they were tracking you know, when these cattle were found, they were trying to pinpoint it as closely as they could when they were occurring. And there were oftentimes that these things were occurring very close to one another in different states. Um, Colorado was the hardest hit. Elbert County, Kiowa was the hardest hit still of all these places. And same with the menacing strange helicopters. If you get that little book I talked about, Choppers and the Choppers, they actually look at like um, what, what day of the week are these occurring mostly what months of the year, what states. And again, these copter sightings were clear across the Midwest and Colorado was the hardest hit. Now, why? I don't know. Same with these same strange Sasquatch creatures. If you bring up, um, I, do we need to take a break? No, not, no, no. Okay. We'll go about another 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Okay. So if you bring up um, uh, number 10, this is really interesting. Um, again, the one drawing on the right um, was in Dr. Leo Sprinkle's files of the creatures that were spotted um, out there in Kiowa. And the one on the left was out of uh, Montana. And this is a letter or an email I got from Bob Solace. Um, and basically, oh, yeah. I yeah, I saw Bob in Laughlin and 
He basically, and if you can leave it up so I can read it, it just says, I will confirm to you that in 1996, I was in contact with the widow of, I redacted the name, Sands. Sands was a deputy sheriff for Cascade County, Montana, near Great Falls in the 70s. In one letter, she states, he also served on a special team secretly funded by the Department of Agriculture, which is interesting because um, Doty mentioned that. If I needed to FOIA, I should FOIA that. The purpose of which was to, turn, to determine the cause of many cattle mutilations, UFO sightings, and Bigfoot reports. He was asked, by, he was asked many times um, to take polygraph tests of airmen stationed at Melmstrom who had seen UFOs. In one letter, she states, I am an artist and a 19... 1977, so the same time as the ranch, they were called to the sheriff's office to draw a picture of the Bigfoot from an eyewitness who passed the polygraph. This is confirmation for your story. And then he recommended the book Mystery Strikes the um, Stalks the Prairie, which I bought. Really great book. Um, it was great speaking with you. Best wishes, Bob Salas. And so the one on the left is, um, again, 1977, uh, UFO Bigfoot you know, connection. And the one on the right is UFO Bigfoot connection. And to me, the noses, the eyes, the, the shaggy yeah. hair, they're very, very similar. Yeah. Very similar. Very, yeah. very similar. And I know um, you mentioned Stan Gordon earlier mm -hmm. and he does the connection between the Bigfoot and the UFOs yeah. all the way back from the 1970s when he was working on that. Yeah. Which is uh, another yeah. strange thing. So right. this, I think um, the the one question I have now, this is just something you may or may not know, but, um, you know, we talk about the United States. There's no like Skinwalker Ranch in Europe type thing, is there? Or do we ever hear about anything? I know there's a Heselton Lights, but I'm wondering if there's any place where all things like this happen um, that you're aware of. And I, I know there's something in Georgia, someone told me mm -hmm. about that yeah, too. Missouri, but I'm just yeah. talking the United States. I've never heard of other countries, Canada, for instance, or you know, in South America, uh, anywhere. Um, um, are it, you aware of any place like that outside of the country? I haven't, but I've, I've, there is a really good film, and oh my gosh, and I can't think of the name of it. I want to say it's out of Argentina. And there's, um, what is the name of that film? Oh, but I watched this film and, and it literally brought tears to my eyes because his experiences were almost very, very similar to my own in high strangeness kind of ways. And so, um, and I believe that that particular one was in Argentina. So and I'm trying to think mm -hmm. of the name of it. I'll, I'll try and come up with it, but it's a great film. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. So, so you, there so must be, yeah, there must be, I just haven't delved deep into it that one in particular comes to mind and it would be interesting if that is so what the oh, commonalities are yeah yeah go ahead it's i think the movie's called out of this world have okay. you seen that one yeah so. no i have not i don't think okay. so yeah, but i mean really when i say the commonalities are there military bases near these you know is that near all these hot spots you know that's well, one thing i wonder yeah, commonalities too. I've really looked into um, the history of the land itself, and I know that's something they talk a lot about in Utah, you know, the, the native folklore and connections to yeah. that. And that's right. certainly the case. I mean, one of the greatest massacres was really close to Kiowa, which was the Sand Creek Massacre. A lot of brutal things happened there. Um, heavy, you know, Ute, Cheyenne, Pawnee, Kiowa, Comanche. So there's heavy, heavily... Um, a lot of like trauma to the land, I guess. So if those energies retain in water, rocks, 
habits. I don't know. You know, that these are all something to look at. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just very mysterious um, for sure. Um, and now what about over the years, as far as you know, is the activity on this particular ranch in Colorado slow down? Does it go up and down? What, what do you know about it? Well, from what I know, it slowed way down, but talking with James Keenan, he was talking to me about this 11 year kind of cycle where activity will rise and fall every 11 years. And you say, why 11 years? Well, it kind of corresponds with the position of earth in our solar system and solar flares. And this, because we, we get these solar flares and that magnetizes things even more. So hmm. the magnetism even raises even more. Now, hmm. is is this is it like a perfect storm or melting pot of all these little nuances that we're all looking about? You know, these little pieces like uh, folklore and minerals and land and and mm -hmm. magnetism and is it just this perfect mixture of these things that cause this to happen? I don't know. You know, and now, also the yeah. people, like intuitive people mm -hmm. that, you know, seems to make a difference too. Right. I know when NIDS was at Skinwalker Ranch, there was, some, and unfortunately didn't catch this on film, but purportedly they saw like a portal, like yeah. open With up. And creature this come out of foot, it. Like yeah. creek for, comes out of it and then it closes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's another, you know, huge mystery if that indeed really happened. And it's, you know, and it, it probably, I mean, I, I would think that it was witnessed that it happened. You know? I, I do. I, I am a believer that, yes, not all of them, maybe not all Bigfoot, Sasquatch are connected to craft, but I believe some of them are. And in fact, I think they're either like bodyguards, workers. Um, I, I think they have a, a role to play in this. I do think they're in a dimensional. Some of them are again, not one clean. I'm not claiming. I know that's just been my experience and people I've talked to witnesses. I've talked to, it just adds up to that for me. But one other thing and, I would like to share, if you don't mind, yeah. what is that oh. interesting? The two interceptors that crashed. What? Okay, I'm not I'm not familiar <laughs> with that. Okay. Yeah. So in the reports, um, they talk about these two in Dr. Leo Sprinkle's files, it said there were two interceptors that crashed in pursuit of a UFO. Mm. And I'm like, well, there's something that I could get data on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so sure enough, if you go to image eight, okay. Right there, Hang on just a second. I They're found the news scattered in my thing here. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. so this, the top is actually from the briefing document. Um, they talk about a newspaper, newspaper editor that disappeared. That's a whole other story, but he, it also says, I, I also understand that two national guard interceptors were up blah, blah, blah. And that's redacted. I don't know what it says and went down while in pursuit of a UFO at night. All of this was a little unnerving, so I decided I was going to stop my own inquiry. I was going to just quietly mind my own business. That's a quote from the undersheriff. So I find mm. the article. So I got the date, the time, the exact location, and then I did a FOIA request. Uh, Richard Doty told me where to FOIA, which is interesting. A whole. So here I am sitting at the admission station getting an admissions test for my son's car, and the phone, my cell phone rings, and it's the United States Air Force which is now the space force out here. And huh. it's a gentleman who heads up the FOIA request. 
And we talked on the phone for 40 minutes. And he, he told me, Katie, if you want anything else about Kiowa or Elbert County, I want you to call me directly. So wow. he kind of, it kind of was intimidated. So if you put up image nine, this is part of the FOIA. I got a big thick packet. It was about an inch thick and a lot of it was redacted. I have the radio transcripts from that incident. Both pilots ejected, both pilots survived. But it's interesting because they listed several causes of the crash. And in one of them, it said the instructor pilot misidentified the rotating beacon of another aircraft as the student's aircraft cause but it never identified what the other aircraft was in this big, thick packet. It never said it was a Cessna, another military plane. It's the only time it's ever mentioned. And the, all the other causes says that the student turned off his beacon light, and so the instructor hit his, hit his wing, and they both ejected and went down, and they both lost both. The other interesting thing I got out of this document is that this was over civilian neighborhoods at night out of Buckley, and they had 255 live rounds of ammunition on board that, those craft hmm. on, on those fighter jets. Why would they Why? have live rounds? I don't That's know. Strange. Yeah. That is strange. And when I've talked to other uh, military personnel, they said, especially with a student at night over civilian houses, that is very strange. Very, very so, strange. Yeah. So I think there might be truth to old Dr. Leo Sprinkle's notes that they were in pursuit yeah. of something. And in fact, the sheriff talks about, you know, that because we didn't have DIA at the time, we had Stapleton and Stapleton was picking up things on radar that they couldn't understand. Mm. So unidentified craft on radar. Wow. So. I had Leo on this show in the past. Oh. He was very, very nice. What a nice man he was. Oh, yes. Love him so much. Yeah. Was he out your way? Did he live in Colorado? Um, he's in Laramie, so he's a quick two hours from me. Oh, and yeah. just recently yeah. I went to his memorial service. And in fact, if I can bring up in Mitch four before the end of the show, um, yeah. this is a book I wrote called letters of love and light. It's four decades of UFO encounters. Um, and sightings shared with ufologist Arleo Sprinkle. And it's basically what happened is when I was there looking for all the information on the ranch, I was getting lost in all these letters that people wrote to Dr. Sprinkle from around the world. And the cool thing about it, he kept all his response letters. So I spent three and a half years going back and forth, taking pictures of all these letters and pulling out oh, the wow. most interesting, juicy parts. I mean, from everything, you know, so I put it like um, ET descriptions, craft descriptions, um, you know, people who channel the ETs, implants to motives, to hypnosis, to letters from children, you know, Leo's perspective. It, it was just this labor of love um, wow. written really for Dr. Sprinkle. And I was so honored that I had it complete before he passed and he was able to read it. And he was just so proud of that and so thankful that I did that. So that's a, like, really, really special to me that I was able to do that for him and really recognize his body of work. Wow. That is, that is really a great thing you did. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very, very proud very of nice. that. <laughs> yep. Yep. And let's see, I think we covered all the images except I don't remember two what this one. Oh, was. this one just kind of showed all the different connections that I make the strange boxes, the Bigfoot, the orbs, the shadow figures, the craft, the helicopters, the circle on the ground. I try to put yeah. it all in one image because there was just so much. So yeah. that's just sort of a graphic that I made. I have my degree in graphic design. And the other image we didn't cover was image 11, which is all fascinating. Right. If you read the article, it talks about that mysterious blanket of metal found out there at the time. And there's a photograph of it. And they said they took, I mean, it's very unusual looking. 
And they took it and they had it analyzed. And of course, who knows what happened to this stuff? I have no Uh, idea. Now, was it, have you heard, you must have heard of the angel hair cases. A little bit. I I haven't dug too deep in it. I wondered, I wondered if like a, like a blanketing that was found on trees, almost like a moss. And, but, uh, so this disappeared. Did it get through, um, the analytics? Well, I mean, in the article, it says it was taken to be tested. I don't know. I'm sure that, you know, who was heavily involved out there as well was the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and Mm. NORAD and Air Force Academy. I'm sure they got their hands on this and Saranara, you know, we don't have it anymore. Um, Interestingly enough, there is something called um, chaff, right? That the military drops, it confuses the radar. So instead of... If you Mm -hmm. have one plane out there, it'll appear that there's several, right? And it looks like Uh Christmas tree tinsel. And I don't think that's what that is in that image. It's not, it's not that. It's something that looks very unusual to me. It does. Yeah. So all these pieces tied together, you know, as I, again, I I didn't even know anybody knew anything about this. And then to have all these pieces start coming out and all this evidence and all these interviews and all this stuff, I'm just like, holy cow, this is much bigger uh, than what I thought. How did you first find out the first tidbit that all this stuff existed? Hunt for the Skinwalker in the book. Oh, I read that book. That's where you. In that book, I started reading about, I was like, that's, that's that's the ranch that you know and i learned of dr leo sprinkle and i wrote him a letter promptly he wrote me back and you know the next week i was down there digging in the files and it's just been going and going and going and going ever since you know yeah yeah well that's amazing i'm pretty dogged i want answers (laughs) yeah yeah it's great that we have people out there like you that have a passion for um that type of work because it's it like like the the book you wrote it's a labor of love it can't yeah, be it, anything else. That's because right. We don't get paid is, for you'd this. You'd be burned out and you wouldn't be interested in it in five right. minutes, you know? Right. So, yeah. uh, but I appreciate that you, you have, have done this type of work. And well, thank um, you. I appreciate that, Martin. Yeah. And so we're at the end of the show and I just want to thank you so much. It's been fascinating. And uh, you're always a pleasure to talk, to talk to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and hope you have a good rest of your week. And I'm excited to go down and do some digging. I hope, keep your fingers crossed. I find that yeah. uh, family history. It would be so cool to find that. Oh, that would that, be so. great. That would Make be sure so cool. you say hi I'll to let Dave. You know. I'll be talking. I will. I'll be talking to him soon. But okay. anyway, all right. You take care now. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, watching the show tonight. And we'll be back. I think I it's September... Ninth or eighth or something like that with Nick Redfern. He'll be back on the show then. All right, everyone. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>